Welcome to the discussion, Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Mitchell Schwartz, a systems engineer at Thundercat Technology, Ed Krejcik, the manager of Isilon Systems Engineers at Dell Technologies, Oki Mech, the senior advisor to the chief information officer at the Department of Health and Human Services, and Chris Brown, the deputy chief information security officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. As agencies shift from cloud first to cloud smart, they have to rethink how and why they're using these off-premise services. The underlying principle of cloud smart attempts to give agencies the ability to evaluate their options based on their service and mission needs, technical requirements, and existing policy limitations. The Office of Management and Budget says computing and technology decisions should also consider customer impact, balance against costs, and cybersecurity risk management criteria. Additionally, OMB says agencies should assess the requirements and seek the environments and solutions, cloud or otherwise, that best enable them to achieve their mission goals while being good stewards of taxpayer resources. Sounds pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. But recent research found that out of 350 companies, now this is in the private sector, 74% moved applications to the cloud and then back on premise. The research from IHS Market says the main reason companies move systems back on premises vary from poor cloud performance to mergers and acquisitions to security concerns. While agencies may not have as much flexibility as the private sector, they are sure that some agencies have moved systems back from the cloud after five or seven years ago that they had moved to the cloud initially. This all means agencies must understand what they're trying to accomplish, the cost models for different cloud options, infrastructure, platform, and or software as a service, and balance the needs of data accessibility and security. So what does it take to meet the goals of cloud smart and improve citizen services? Well, once again, that's where our panelists come in. Once again, our panelists are Mitchell Schwartz, a systems engineer at Thundercat Technology, Ed Krejcik, the manager of Isilon Systems Engineers at Dell Technologies, Oki Mech, the Senior Advisor to the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Health and Human Services, and Chris Brown, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Chris, I'm going to start on the end with you to talk about cloud and, and the strategy of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission with what you're, what you're trying to accomplish when you talk about cloud. So we are moving fairly rapidly into the cloud. We were fortunate to be able to hire a cloud architect that looked at what we ex had existing in the cloud and what we had existing on-prem, um, did a readiness analysis of where we were as an organization to be able to adopt cloud, and then went on to look at all of our existing applications and has established a, a roadmap for moving things into the cloud. Um, in addition, we have a, um, a strategy for what, what we do adopt. We first look for a shared service, <coughs> and then we look for a SaaS, um, and then we look for a pass, and then we look for infrastructure as a service. Um, and so we are moving in that, um, in that direction, uh, standing up. Um, we set up a pass last year, and our infrastructure um, as a service is fairly, it's actually larger than I thought we would get to. Um, and then we've got a number of um, SaaS services, like 43 SaaS services that we've adopted. And I expect that we'll continue to move in that direction. And, and everything that you cited for the Cloud Smart is the way we approach it. I know that when we did when we had Cloud First um, as a, an initiative, there were a lot of agencies that just did the lift and shift and you know they moved everything into the cloud. They had to containerize because a lot of them were legacy systems. Um, and that might be the folks that have decided that they need to move it back on-prem, right? Um, we're taking a, an assessment approach of everything and you know really adopting the Cloud Smart. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the cloud readiness uh, yeah. assessment you did. Was that something that came about because you had applications and you were like, okay, what do we do? Or give me a sense of how, how that, how you guys decided that that was the first step or so among really, the first steps. I really have to give the uh, credit to our cloud architect who said, okay, this is what we need to do, right? Because we need to see where we are as an organization. Um, and if we put everything up in the cloud, how are we connecting to that? How are we securely connecting to that? What's What's the bandwidth that's available to us? So she looked at what, what else we needed to do from an infrastructure standpoint for us to be ready to continue to move things into the cloud. Excellent, now uh, hopefully no one will come steal that person now because- uh, That's right, that's why I did not share her name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's talk about HHS, a much bigger agency than NRC, but you guys also have been on a path 
I know I've talked to your CIO, Jose Herrera, and the CIOs before him, who have been talking about cloud for some time. Yes, so we are uh, looking to create a, a cloud strategy, and we're taking a business approach in terms of aligning it with the mission of HSS, uh, from the missions, visions, value, also looking at the business aspect as a whole as well. We're not just looking at this as an IT project. I never say, you know, I always say that there's, a, there's no such thing as IT project. There's a business project with IT components. Uh, we are looking across the board, looking at acquisition, HR, IT, security, finance as well, and just, just looking at holistically because you can't just focus on IT when you try to move to the cloud. Uh, we're also looking at a strategy called um, pace layering uh, model in terms of because things are changing so fast, uh, so we're trying to categorize uh, applications in terms of what changes are, go are gonna happen in the next couple of years. Um, some application that doesn't change often are administrative systems, administrative application like HR, finance, outside of just routine maintenance, they don't change often. Uh, we're also looking at some, some system that's specific to HSS that may change more often, and then also systems that are, uh, we're looking to innovate that might, you know, we might be looking into more infrastructure as a service because we want, more, we want to have more flexibility in terms of innovation. And lastly, we are looking at exit strategy as well, as Chris had mentioned, uh, as well as Jason. Um, in some cases, the cloud, going to the cloud may not work, so you gotta have an exit strategy either to bring back on-prem or to actually move from one <coughs> cloud provider to the next. So that's our overall high-level overview of the strategy. You, you mentioned that you guys are starting to work on a strategy. Previously, how did you kind of move to the cloud? Was it the FDA did their thing and NIH did their thing with some kind of overarching guardrails, or what, what, how, how did it work at HHS? HHS um, is very federated. It's, it's a, a, a big agency. Um, just collaborating and exchanging ideas and exchanging, you know, initiatives, I think is the approach, uh, looking thing holistically. But when you think about IT uh, cloud strategy, it's it's really re it's almost very similar to HR department. Think about that. Uh, HR doesn't really manage the people that they bring in, but they they provide guidance around training onboarding, offboarding policies, uh, just around staff resources. I think that could be applied to cloud strategy as well because there's got to be some governance and you, it's something that you could you know, apply and reuse over and over again. You can't have things uh, doing in silos. And, and HSS is so he, huge that it could get to that if we don't look at it almost as an HR department or cloud department. It's a it's a great analogy because I think people get it. Like we people hire people all the time, but we if we can't have one person hiring all the time, it's it's going to have a big backlog. Um, let me turn to Ed now. Uh, Dell Technologies, you guys are providing agencies with a lot of help when it comes to moving to the cloud. What what are some of the the trends you're seeing from your government customers around as they move to the cloud? Well, for, first I want to make a comment about how impressed I am to see the the executive CIO do the shift last year from cloud first to cloud smart. I mean that that's a a strategy that we've always tried to promote within Dell. Really take a data first or an application first perspective rather than just being like you know a a broad brush wipe of putting we're putting all our data in the cloud or something like that. It really you know there there's. Um, strategies around the criticality of the applications that need to be run, the, the protection of the data, um, being able to, to really assess the value of what we're putting in the cloud and how we're securing it and all that. So from that perspective, you know, it, it, it's, it's great to see um, you know, the government just in general and my, our government customers taking that <coughs> approach. I mean, we, the strategy we take is really one of assessment and evaluating the applications, evaluating the data, evaluating um, the security and cost of moving things to the cloud, and also you know, the agility of being able to, to move data into the cloud or move applications to the cloud or back, depending on you know, what the, the economics of the applications and the data need to be. It's interesting you bring up the, the shift that was made uh, when, when the government first started down this cloud first, it was so new and we've got to get off the legacy systems and in many cases the lift and shift was a good idea. 
And then it, it kind of occurred to a lot of CIOs over time that, oh, well, th I have such peaks and valleys, the cost to, uh, when I hit a peak is, is tough, or when I hit a valley, or, or, or the opposite, I think, is also true, where I'm spending a lot more when it's just a, a maintain. Do you see that conversation happening when you talk to government clients that they're saying, this is the type of system that probably wouldn't work for the cloud, and this is, I mean, is that, that understanding? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we do assessments in terms of, you know, the cost of um, accessing data in the cloud and, you know, the egress costs and things like that, and do that as a comparison to potentially being an on-prem cloud, so we don't have to deal with those costs. It, again, it depends on the the interactivity of the data. You know how quick, how much it's being accessed, how frequently, um, the the size of the data that's being moved around. So, from that perspective, yes. Mitchell, jump in here. Uh, talk a little bit about and build off of what Ed said about what you're seeing from government clients. What, what's the type of conversations you're having? So, conversations are around understanding the different cloud providers that are out there. Um, and then, uh, to Chris's point earlier, you know, having that edge strategy so they don't are, are not married to one uh, vendor. Um, there's been cloud for providers that have failed, and then how do you get your data out? And there's situations where if you've had too much data in their provider, they're set to close at a certain date. You may not be able to get all your data <clears> out. So understanding that uh, that's a real risk in cloud where we don't have that risk on prem is, is something that we're trying to uh, have with customers. Um, also understanding uh, one of the customers I cover is, is in healthcare industry as well. And uh, they're also trying to figure out how to put their archive up there. And we're talking a multi-petabyte archive of images that takes significant amount of time to migrate, maintain, uh, but they want to try and get that off-prem. Um, so kind of the, to Ed's point is, who's going to access that? Well, now that they're talking about doing AIML workloads, they might start accessing that data where in the past they weren't. So there's new trends to their data that they haven't had before and haven't trended in the past. So they may see access patterns that weren't previously there. Um, so trying to guide them through things like that. You bring up stuff like AI, ML, we'll probably get to that a little bit later in the yes. conversation, but let me let me back us up for a second. Uh, there's been some very, uh, well, you used to call it famous or infamous maybe is the better word, uh, agencies who have moved to the cloud, then all of a sudden the, the vendor went out of business and then they were stuck. How much of that preparation is being done on the on the front end? Meaning, in the contracts or in the discussions, are agencies telling Thundercat, for instance, oh, by the way, we own our data and we can get our data whenever we want? Or is that conversation happening much later in the, you know, almost after the fact? Both. Both. So, <laughs> unfortunately, it's both because it's agency by agency where some of them um, don't have the foresight or they have a local copy. So, you know, if it's in the cloud and the cloud provider goes away, they said, okay, well, we just have our local copy and we're fine. Um, so I think some of it depends on their strategy of how they maintain that data, how they're uh, maintaining <clears throat> that uh, redundancy of their data and resiliency of their data to uh, drive that. I want to go back to something that Chris said and actually Ed also built upon. So let me start with Chris. Since, um, the readiness assessment that Ed described and you, your cloud architects seem to do the same one, was there a decision that was made of, okay, how do we move certain workloads to the cloud and how we don't and, and what type of cloud? Like, okay, this makes sense for infrastructure or this makes sense for software? So, yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> we looked at a, a need for um, an infrastructure as a service um, so that we could um, more easily access a lot of other providers. And so, and I'm not going to name names, but um, we went with one that's widely used, survivable, and we're building out in that environment, essentially building our own little, um, you know, infrastructure so that we can connect back to our, our on-prem. But then also it gives us uh, big pipes to the other providers that we're already using. Um, so that was one of the big findings that we needed, right? You can't um, really service everybody by using a bunch of software as a service or even shared service, because that's a, a pipe from you to that, and, and you're continually just um, uh, doing those multiple hops, right? The connectivity to this one provider is allowing us to do a single hop to that provider and then very, like I said, big pipes out, out to the other providers. It's, is it, would you call it the hub, hub and spoke model in, in some ways, where the, the yeah. hub is maybe your data center with another hub, the other big cloud provider than everything else? Sure, I would go with that because we've still got stuff on on prem, right? Oh, and it's, and it's going to take us a while, and <coughs> and there will likely be some things that we do not move, right? Um, everything we have, well, not everything, but the majority of what we have is uh, moderate, so we need moderate protections. There is some stuff that's that needs high 
we're going to consider um, a high environment, but there's stuff that we're just simply going to leave here, and, and we know that going in. Ed, one of the things that I've heard time and again as we've covered cloud is agencies start with infrastructure, then they slowly move to platform, and then they go to software. But over the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, it's a, been a bigger jump to, to software. Is that because they're getting better at making these assessments? I, I think the software as a service, the services have become better and more prolific. So I think it makes, you don't need to take that stepwise jump anymore. Now you can evaluate you know, the, the application service that you're looking to provide to your customers or whatever and say, I can, I can go ahead and contract out. It already exists. I don't have to build or it or I don't have to assess for it. You know, that from, from that perspective, I, I think there's a lot of good uh, service providers out there already now that we don't have to build it from the ground up. Maybe that's the biggest difference between today and 2012 or 2013 is that you all, got, you all understood the software thing a little better. Yep. <laughs> of course they agree. <laughs> uh, let me just ask Oki real quick, uh, when you guys look at which workloads make sense or, or how do you give, for instance, work with FDA or, or, or CMS, how do you help them understand which workloads make sense for the cloud? Um, I think uh, there's no one size fit, fits all in terms of cloud strategy or what needs to go to cloud or what not needs to go to cloud. I think categorization and prioritization is the key in terms of what, what could be a good candidate to go to the cloud. Like I said, mentioned earlier, uh, pace layering technique is a very good technique in terms of things are changing so rapidly that you figure out which which application is going to change so often, which doesn't change that often, and which you know, doesn't really change much at all. So you, you, you bucket those area, and also you're looking into like, you know, some, we might still have some mainframe systems that we might want to, that might be critical that we might want to look at. I think there's an opportunity to modernize why you are looking at cloud strategy. And you mentioned machine learning, I'm a little bit jumping ahead, but <laughs> if you look at the data, there's a lot of commonalities, a lot of overlaps in terms of what systems are doing the same thing. But if you look at the data and using machine learning to, to cluster and standardize the data, you could really map the data and see which system is doing what and which systems are actually doing the same thing. I think that's, there's a good opportunity here to consolidate and to cut down on systems because me, from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, it's a little scary going to the cloud in some cases because security has to be really the number one priority because we are just moving to the cloud uh, rapidly in a manner that's not, doesn't have strong governance uh, around, around the move. So that's, that's, that's a concern from a cybersecurity perspective. All right, you hit two big topics, data, ML, security, all of them we're going to talk about in the next segment. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. Manage your data, not your storage. Thundercat Technology, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, is a leading service provider for data storage and management and cloud migration. Thundercat and Dell Technologies challenge government agencies to think differently about their storage. Are you interested in creating massive room for growth? With Isilon, you can eliminate silos and consolidate all your unstructured data. Thundercat is ready to build a custom migration for your IT mission requirements. Learn more at thundercattech.com. Welcome back, you're listening to the discussion, Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Mitchell Schwartz, a systems engineer at Thundercat Technology, Ed Krejcik, the manager of Isilon Systems Engineers at Dell Technologies, Oki Mech, the senior advisor to the chief information officer at the Department of Health and Human Services, and Chris Brown, the deputy chief information security officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Before break, okay, you brought up this idea of data and data management, and do you understand where the data is? And I think when we talk about moving applications and, and services to the cloud, the data piece becomes so important. So maybe let me bring in Ed on this first question here. When you talk about data, data management and, and the cloud, how do the two fit together, and, and what are things agencies should maybe keep in mind? Well, from a management perspective, you need to, while the data is still in the cloud, you need to be able to have access to it, and be able to access that data without incurring the, the, the egress costs associated with pulling the data back. You know, we have technologies um, 
in Dell, Isilon specifically, cloud pool technology that migrates data from the Isilon file system itself to the cloud and it maintains the index and the stub for the file or the object um, on the Isilon system before it goes to the cloud. And that makes it indexable, searchable, um, be able to do processing and analytics on it without actually having to recall that data from the cloud, thus saving those egress costs. But in general, you need to have a holistic view of your data in the cloud while it's still secure. And we do have tools available that allow you to take a heterogeneous view across your entire file and object systems to be able to look at you know, different heterogeneous <coughs> file systems, maybe not even Dell specific platforms, but being able to see what data is where, whether it's on a file system or in the cloud and be able to management and move data around in that way. Let me, let me just put a finer point on what you said. If I have my data in a cloud, and, and obviously your technology or whomever's technology I'm using, what, what I could do with it is almost do all the processing, manipulation, changes on that cloud versus bringing it back to me and then putting it back out to the cloud. Right, I mean, we're working with metadata locally. Um, we have the ability to access the data in the cloud without actually, like I say, without um, re rehydrating it back to the <laughs> local file system. Right? Good, good, good terminology, rehydrating it. Yes. Uh, one of the things when we talk about data management is also the read and write privileges and, and there's a whole access piece. We go down a path of identity management and access controls as well. But let me maybe bring Chris on this since you're the security officer, you get the, get the harder questions on that sense is, is when you look at data management, how do you balance the accessibility versus security side? So when, I think it's the same as on-prem, Yeah. right? So you role-based access control, you set that up in your cloud, you, you do the same on-prem. You know, need to know trumps it, right? You make sure that this, the controls are there both on-prem or, or in the cloud to make sure that, that that data is secured and then use your role-based access to determine who should have access to it. It sounds so simple again, it right? It does. <laughs> but uh, walk me through maybe a little bit of, of the cloud makes the role-based access set up easier or is it, it all depends on what software you bring in and applications. It's not necessarily... So, no, I don't think it makes it easier. I think that you simply have to set that infrastructure up in the cloud in order to provide it, right? And then you make the same decisions that you would make on-prem. It's just that when they're doing the, the work on that data, they're not doing it on-prem, they're doing it in the cloud. Go ahead, you Mitchell. You can set up PKI infrastructure, you can integrate with the PIV cards. Oh, absolutely, um, so yes. It's, yes. it's not like in the past where you were worried, well, how am I authenticating this user and verifying who they are? And now it's it's not as big of a problem as when cloud first started to have that PIV, cloud, uh, PIV card enabled into the cloud. Absolutely. Mitchell, does the hybrid setup that most agencies are in, does that also impact that, that side of the data management? The fact is you're going to have some data on-premise, some data in the cloud, and, and they have to go back and forth? Absolutely, because you want to know what's being accessed. Uh, and typically when we would do this on-prem, you know, we wouldn't put a lot of firewalls, we wouldn't put a lot of restrictions <clears throat> on systems that were next to each other or very close to each other. And now we need to start doing that, but also understanding what commands are being accessed and run. So if I have a web server in the cloud, I have a database server on-prem, what, what queries is it running? Um, is it not from a security standpoint, uh, but also is it an unoptimized query and now you know, drawing a lot of data, pulling a high egress rate back to uh, the uh, cloud provider. Um, so we want to be conscious of these things that we typically had, had let go free previously. Please, okay. In terms of security and data, um, there's a need to share data nowadays. I think machine learning is critical in terms of clustering and classifying the data and put it in the right places. When you want to ask for data, <coughs> for our cases, electronic health records, uh, people are going to say, oh, you know, uh, you can't do it because of HIPAA or PHI. But if you look at the data and you start classifying and put labeling the data and say this falls under HIPAA, this falls under PHI or PII, then you can come to the table and negotiate and say, okay, this doesn't apply to HIPAA. We need the data that doesn't apply to HIPAA or PHI. Or in some cases, you could actually update the policy. And who, you know, who's better in position to do that? Health and Human Services is to influence policy updates in terms of electronic health records. And that's why I think data and security, that there's going to be real need to share data. Uh, in in this in this era. Can I ask you a question about that? I mean, when we're talking about like PITI type data, I mean, do you feel that the value and the security of that is critical? Would you prefer to have that on-prem or would you, 
or are you open to putting that type of information in the cloud? Uh, I mean, security to cloud could be good as well. I mean, if you if you look in your contracts saying, you know, who's going to do what? I think the, the, the issue with security with going to cloud on-prem is that <clears throat> we end up dealing with the vendor and saying who's doing what? And who, who, who is responsible for the security? And we go back and forth because the, it's not really clearly defined in the contracts. But I think uh, going to cloud using electronic health records in the cloud, it's, I think it's fine. But you have to understand what you are putting in the cloud and you have to label it correctly and cluster and classify it correctly. And that's the fundamental of uh, security anyway, is, is to understand the data before you could categorize the system as a low, moderate, or high. Yeah. And Chris talked about FedRAMP earlier. I mean, do you feel that the FedRAMP specifications are create enough security to put that type of data in the cloud or are you doing your own assessments and your own uh, additional security controls on top of that? So I think FedRAMP is awesome because they are um, uh, giving ATOs to systems and so agencies aren't having to do that on their own. Though there are some larger agencies that are stepping up and they're doing the ATOs for systems. So it's both um, the JAB, uh, the Joint Authorization Board, as well as an agency that are ATOing these systems. And so we can take advantage of that. But we do what, the same thing that we do on-prem, we do for the cloud. And if somebody wants to go to a cloud service, we say, okay, we request the package, we go through and we review all of the security controls um, and how they have characterized them. And then we determine where that, whether that characterization um, meets with our expectations. And I'll give you an example. Um, we had one package that said that training was all taken care of. And we said, maybe for them, when they stood it up, training was taken care of, but we have to do our own training. So we did not inherit that, right? We said we are responsible for it. So we do that line for line, control by control review before we present a risk assessment to the CIO to adopt or not to adopt. When it comes to both security and, and when you talk FedRAMP, is there's a the 80-20 rule, if you will, okay, I'll trust you 80%, but that last 20, the last mile, I'm gonna have to do on my own. Uh, it, what, what happens, I think, too often is when agencies are 50-50 or 30-70, I'll trust you 30%, and then, less, and then we start getting to this repetition and, and redundancy of, of re-looking at controls. And I think that's where it gets frustrating. Um, I, I did wanna tag back around to something that, that Chris also said around, when you talk about data, and ensuring that it's in the cloud and how you can manipulate it in the cloud. You offered an interesting anecdote about the, the adjustment it takes internally as well when, when you put stuff in the cloud. Maybe just talk a little bit about that anecdote. So um, we have an office that does <clears throat> um, high performance computing. So they need some you know, high powered uh, computers in order to crunch the code to give them the results that they need. And, and they had been used to having these boxes on-prem you know, so they could touch them. And this was a cultural shift where we moved them into the cloud and then they wanted to, to bring the data back. And you know, we've already talked about high egress costs and that, that can be rather pricey to pull it all back down. And so it was a cultural shift for them to be able to run the code, get the results in the cloud, leave the, result, you know, the, the actual data there and then just pull back the results, the report from that. Um, and that has been a successful shift for them. Um, and the, the real win is that um, um, they were having to maintain the systems that were on-prem themselves. They're in the cloud, they're being maintained um, per, per the provider's uh, specifications or the, to our specifications that the provider is giving us. Um, and they're able to spin up uh, virtual machines very quickly, very high power machines. Um, and they can do that um, without having to go through an acquisition process to bring that on-prem. So they're really appreciative of, of that aspect of it. And Mitchell, you were talking about as well that this is a great example of platform as a service, the ability to say, hey, we have this need, let's do it. And then if that need reduces, okay, let's bring it back down. I mean, that's really one of the big benefits of cloud. And especially when it comes to data, I'm sure the researchers have moments where they have a ton of data and then they've used the data and now they're waiting for that next batch to come in. Mitchell, talk a little bit about the, the benefits. Uh, so one of the other benefits is the hardware will constantly be refreshed. So what we see typically with on-prem equipment is we procure it, we wait three to five years, and then now we have to do a huge procurement again to try and refresh that gear. Depending on budget, sometimes that can even take even longer. <clears throat> um, so with the cloud provider, they can update their hardware more frequently because it's not tied to uh, typical government procurement, and now we're able to take advantage of better processors, better uh, systems downstream. 
Uh, so that's a big help to especially people in the HPC community where there's advancements in computing all the time um, that they're able to use and uh, take advantage of. And I think that's one of the things when you talk about cloud that we always initially a big change and, and Ed, maybe you could help a little bit about this is because when we talked about cloud initially it was cost savings, cost savings, cost savings. And now the benefits are, like as Mitchell described, hey, you could turn it up to satisfy a need, turn it back down. It's more about the mission side, which is, is I think, a big change we've seen from the discussion points. Right, and, and we talk about, again, agility and being able to move things back and forth within the cloud. You know, containerization <clears throat> is is the, the big trend right now and being able to, to package up your application. You can run it locally. Uh, you can run it in the cloud. You can also run it locally and have uh, the cloud as a DR strategy um, that makes it um, a more usable platform in just you know being able to am I running in the cloud am I running you know locally on prem so from that perspective it, it changes the paradigm again when you're when you're talking about running uh, compute and things in the cloud like like Mitchell states you know that you're running on hopefully like state of the art latest and greatest things the other thing is that you're only paying for the compute cost and the time that you're running compute. You're not paying for the data transfer time. You're not paying for the data residency or, or anything like that. When you're talking about compute in the cloud, you're just focusing on the costs of the compute and you don't have to worry about all the infrastructure and the data transfer costs and things like that. Okay. Can, can I add to that? Uh, in, in terms of cost, uh, <coughs> cost cutting, it's, it's, I use analogies because <laughs> it makes sense. It's like, you know, like buying, either you rent or you buy a home. And you know, are you expecting new, uh, you know, child in the, the family? Are you bringing your in-laws coming into the house? Are you moving in the next couple of years? I think that all has to come into play in terms of the decision of moving to the cloud or on-prem and how much is going to save you money. Uh, there's no one-size-fit-all in, in, in the <clears throat> strategy. That's why I, I think a good analogy is are you renting or are you buying a home? So, Oki touched on this earlier. I talked about governance. And that governance piece, so the scenario that I talked about was key because that's, that's brand new. We used to just have the infrastructure and they could go and they could acquire you know, the, the box that they needed to run the code. Now they're having to monitor that, fire it up, and then be able to shut it down in order to keep costs down. If they keep it running, you know, they've run through their budget in a matter of months. So that was something that we needed the business partner, partners to embrace right? Because it's their budget that's actually supporting that. And so that's been a pretty big learning curve. Um, you know, we've got some policies in place. I'm sure they'll continue to evolve, but um, that was a, a big deal for us. And this is just part of what I was uh, talking about earlier is making sure your code is correct, right? We were able to get away with a lot when everything was on-prem and everything was uh, kind of free almost once it hit the processor and once it hit the network. Now that it's not, we have to rethink a lot of our code. We have to rethink a lot of what developers were doing um, because we don't have that, that free nature that we see on uh, on-prem on system. Okay, we brought up earlier in our conversation that you guys are developing kind of a cloud strategy. At the same time, we also have the rise of the chief data officer, the CDO. Um, uh, HHS maybe is a little different. I know your CIO happens to also wear that other hat as CDO, so his conversations are probably pretty easy among himself. But how are you balancing the, the data needs with the cloud strategy? How, how are you ensuring those things are coming together? Uh, I think it's a, a collaborative effort. I think we all have to work together in terms of, because doing things in silos has caused a lot of issues. <laughs> really? I, I think tell, tell me more. <laughs> cloud strategy, you know, you, you have to go across finance, <clears throat> HR, uh, acquisitions, security, business owner, system owner, operation folks. We all have to come into uh, into a committee and, and discuss and share because just doing it in silos is not going to work. By the time you make that decision, you're going to fail. I think having that collaborative effort and just communicate, I think, is the key. But is the data piece being considered as you write the cloud strategy? Meaning, it's not just okay. Let's move to the cloud. Like, right. let's do an assessment, and these systems can go and these systems stay. But it's okay. What data is that? Is that how much of that conversation is now? more focused on data than the systems itself. Um, Jose is currently the CIO and acting right. CDO as well. <laughs> so I said he wears um, the same hat, yeah. But in terms of data and system, I mean, you, won't have, you will not have a system if you don't have a business that, that needs that IT. And you won't have a system if, you don't, if there's no data. I think the data is the raw information that 
like I said, you could map, you could, you know, you could you could look at it and say, hey, you know, we don't need this system. We could consolidate this. We could we could do this and we could do that. But the data drives the, the decision and the business as well because you have to look at the organization's missions and visions and values. What are we what are we focusing on? It, it's really a business. Uh, strategy, modern IT strategy. So business is driving. Very good. All right, let's take a quick break and come back. We can uh, jump into the last segment. Uh, you're listening to the discussion Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. Manage your data, not your storage. Thundercat Technology, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, is a leading service provider for data storage and management and cloud migration. Thundercat and Dell Technologies challenge government agencies to think differently about their storage. Are you interested in creating massive room for growth? With Isilon, you can eliminate silos and consolidate all your unstructured data. Thundercat is ready to build a custom migration for your IT mission requirements. Learn more at thundercattech.com. Welcome back, you're listening to the discussion Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Mitchell Schwartz, a systems engineer at Thundercat Technology, Ed Krejcik, the manager of Isilon Systems Engineers at Dell Technologies, Oki Mech, the senior advisor to the chief information officer at the Department of Health and Human Services, and Chris Brown, the deputy chief information security officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Before break, we were talking just a little bit about the data, data management, and how data fits in with the cloud strategy. And, and really, if the two aren't walking together down the path, you're missing a big piece of, of, of your strategy. Uh, let me bring Chris into the discussion. Uh, we were talking uh, about this idea of data and, and cloud and how the two strategies must really be hand in hand as they go down that path. Walk me through how NRC is addressing that to ensure that they're not hitting a fork in the road. So we have a, a big effort right now to bring our data together across the agency and create some, some rules and governance rules on how that data can be used and joined or not joined so that people can use it for visualizations and then uh, make decisions. And um, as a result of that need, uh, we're realizing that we need um, some decisions around our data architecture and where it is and how we're going to manage it. We had a master data management program and this is kind of like the next level of maturation for us. And so we realized that we actually needed a data architect like yesterday in order to help us with this. So we're um, right in the midst of that right now in terms of how, where do we put it, um, where's the best place to put it for now until we get smarter and uh, we're, we're grappling <coughs> with that and we're going to bring in some assistance and make the best decisions we can at this point. Now, are you hiring a person with that title or, yes, or that, a contractor or some sort of combination? So, um, we would love to be able to hire somebody again, like tomorrow. Uh, unfortunately, the federal hiring process is <laughs> not agile, that right? Uh, so we're going to uh, bring in some contract support and then pursue a, a data architect as a Fed. One of the things, go ahead. Uh, to that end of bringing all that data to, together, I mean, that, that's a concept that we've been working with for quite some time with Isilon and, the, and the, the whole concept of the data lake and being able to you know, have multiple um, different departments, agencies, what have you, bring data together into a single repository. Again, it's all secure, managed by you know, access controls and things like that, but it sits together and then we do have the ability to run analytics across a larger pool of data in different ways that weren't normally, you know, analyzed together at the same point. You know, being able to do things like regressions and cross co correlations that create, or, or you get to pull business intelligence out of that data that has never been gleaned before, and actually, you know, in, you know, actionable intelligence to be able to make business decisions or realize new potential, you know, business activities or customer activities. You know, as what's going on with the data by identifying trends that hadn't been, you know, previously brought together before to, to be identifiable. And that's really the key here, that the data analytics that the cloud, and when you merge the cloud and the data and, and those pieces and parts together is really the bigger benefit. Okay, maybe talk a little bit about how HHS is really starting to take advantage of the cloud to drive data decisions. Yeah, I think, I think data is, is very critical, I think, I mean, Realistically, the, the past two years alone, we have created more data than our entire existence of mankind. That's 90% of our data, and 80% 80, 80 of it is unstructured. So that's why machine learning is very critical into making sense of the data, uh, having the data and having insight and trying to use the data to make it smarter, 
it's critical because you can't really manage <coughs> something if you can't measure it. <laughs> analyzing, you know, user behavior, analyzing system behavior, and trying to optimize it, constantly improving, and also evolving as you go because things are changing so rapidly. You know, technology is changing rapidly, data is coming all over the place. So it's it's very critical that you think about data. And and the second point I want to say to that is that we are still in a, we still dealing with a lot of paper. <laughs> we we just need to get away from paper. I always use the analogy around uh, filing taxes. You know, the early 50s, 60s, you file taxes, you use paper, it takes a week, two weeks to file your taxes because you have to go hunt down the da data. Uh, early 2000, you could file it online, which takes still a couple of days. But now they're using TurboTax. You could do it within an hour because data are being pulled from different systems and aggregated in the background using RPA, using analytics, giving you a confidence score at the end. That's that's the future of of uh, business function in the government or even in private sector. I think we need to shift away from paper, and and try to digitize or focus on digitize because you want to do AI and RPA, you can't do it with paper. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> you, you have to. The the biggest part will be digitizing the data and cleaning the data in order you could do AI or RPA. And that's where you see AI RPA come into play is actually digitizing the data itself to get off of paper. So. Uh, We've been working on a project with a customer where um, they have to read barcodes and scan in data so they can share it with other healthcare agencies. Uh, and they're using RPA to be able to do that and AI to be able to do that. Um, so it's actually <clears throat> becomes uh, part of the solution to help you even get off the old paper that's sitting there on the shelves. You brought me back when you mentioned about filing your taxes with paper. You had to go to the post office or the library and get your tax forms. and. Oh, the good old days, right? Um, one of the things about that this push towards better analytics, I mean, is really the end goal for, for all agencies is to be able to use their data to make better decisions. Uh, Ed, walk me through a little bit about what you're seeing when you talk to your customers. Is that their end goal too, when they talk about moving to the cloud, when they talk about having a hybrid setup? Yeah, I mean, in, initially it's not. Initially it, it's more just you know an easier way to manage the data, consolidate the data. And then uh, it's more of a progression and the light bulbs start to go off and it's like, oh, well now I've got all my data in one place. I can start to do different things with it and, and get that intelligence or, you know, hey, I never compared this versus that. And now all of a sudden I'm realizing a trend that I never, you know, realized existed, you know, in my, you know, customer base or, or what have you. So from that perspective, I don't think, you know, I think the... Where the industry has gone has now made that a a bigger you know direction. But I think initially it, it was more of a progression. Now I think because we've come so far and being able to use analytics and and um, you know AI and things like that, that now you go into it with what what am I going to get out of it now, or what what business intelligence can I glean out of this now? And the tools are easier to use. I mean, I was talking with a. CIO just recently, and they talked about using, oh, we have this dashboard, and this program gives us this dashboard, and we can use decision-making and the pulls from this data lake or this data source. So I think the tools are easier. We talk about software as a service. That, that, that's what a lot of these and, are. And, and Mitchell? that was going to be the point I was going to make is now the <coughs> AIML is built into a lot of platforms, a lot of applications, where when AIML started happening, it's, well, here's AIML, and now go write applications <laughs> against it, and you've had to learn how to do it. And... Um, having those applications and platforms ready to go just quickly enables uh, that capability. Are you seeing that there's a learning curve though? Okay, I have it now. Okay, I can do some, some okay, t there's a lot of people, a lot of agencies or a lot of, even in the private sector, okay, great, I have this technology, what do I do with it or how do I use it? Or is it, it's, simp more, it's hey, just put the data in and the machine will tell you what comes out. I mean, it's a little, a little bit of both. The, it depends I answer, keep asking you these questions. <laughs> It's an it depends answer. I mean, some of them, people are very resistant to change. Um, so that, that's yeah. part of it. And some of them really don't know what answers they could get out of their data um, because they've never asked it that kind of question before. Um, so I think some of them are kind of surprised by the results. They've never looked at not just where the results take them, but the opposite of the results take them. Because um, a lot of times they just look for the answers to their questions, not what the, other, the data could tell them outside of that. Chris. Yeah, oh, so that's a, a critical piece, right? Um, you do need to understand the data and you need to understand, this is what I was talking about, join or not join, because you can get answers out of the data that might not be true, right? And so you do need to understand what that foundation is and then create some rules around how <clears throat> it can be used and shared, because you could 
you know, you could get someone running a result, getting one answer, and then somebody else getting a different answer, and that just can't, that just can't work, right? Well, that's the evolution of like new functions in the organization too. I mean, we talked about the data architect. I mean, yeah. what about the data scientist role Absolutely. of really actually being yeah. able to, to figure out ways to use that data? Probably another position that uh, Chris is trying to hire. So <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> okay, Can I add to that? Uh, I think before even getting the data, you need to understand what are the pain points and what are some of the use cases that requires those da the data sets. Uh, we use a lot of human-centered design and really going out and talking to the workforce and engaging the workforce to understand what the pain points are. Uh, we have the requirements. The federal requirements are, are very similar, I could tell you right now, but just understanding <coughs> the pain points, what things that we could improve upon, but human-centered design also help in terms of marketability as well, in terms of getting people engaged and collaborate and also to champion what you're trying to do. If they're engaged, they will champion what you're trying to do because they, 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 they are actually feeding into this in innovation because Jeff Bezos mentioned that, hey, you know, <laughs> there's, no, there's no innovation without adoption. You have to get the workforce to adopt what you're trying to do. That's why I say you start with a use case before you even look at the data set because some data set, like Chris said, you know, might not even work, but you also could reinforce it if you engage them regularly every two, three weeks. Hey, does this work or does this cluster of machine learning, is, is, it, is it providing the right outcome? And then you refine it. It's almost like training a child, really. Just, you, know, you, you teach them something and you reinforce. You teach something and you reinforce. And I, I think that's the key. So it's almost like what Chris, your, dis your discussion in the last segment around the researchers who were like, wait a minute, I want to pull my data. No, no, you can do it there. Once they learned what they could do, I'm sure they were like, you, you probably had to slow them down and be like, Okay, relax. <laughs> we have rules and guardrails here for a reason. That's so right, that's very right. similar. So we're leveraging human-centered design with that um, uh, data visualization project uh, that we've got going. So absolutely on board with that. You know, in terms of RPA, um, we're looking at it. We're lo we've got several uh, use cases laid out, and we see it as an, an augmentation for staff because. Um, you know, we're, we're getting squeezed in, in terms of the amount of hires. I, I don't have a whole bunch of FTE vacancies that, that I, I'd love to fill them, but I don't have it, right? Um, we need to do more with the staff that we have. We need to do more with the data that we have. RPA is going to help us get there because we can free staff from doing some things, uh, transition that work to RPA, and then we can use them to do those human uh, jobs that we can't get a computer to do for us yet. In, in the higher level task, right? It frees right. them up from right. a low level, very repetitive, very... Absolutely. Uh, uh, formulaic tasks, mm -hmm. uh, where it's always going to be done a very specific policy set way, the computer understands those rules, and just constantly processes those rules. So it frees the people up to do a higher level of work, which you know, they're really there to do. Well, this has been just a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So I'm going to go down the, the panelists once again and, and just ask, let's start with some, some big takeaways from our conversation today, or big lessons learned that you've seen, some potholes to avoid, whatever we want to term it as. No agency starts at zero, no agency is, is done. So maybe start with Mitchell since we started with Chris on the other end of the table at the beginning. What, what's a common mistake, what's a, what's a common piece of advice you give to your clients when it comes to moving the cloud, dealing with data? Uh, identify your data um, and you probably don't know what's out there. Um, so really think about what's out there. Uh, start understanding what systems talk to each other and how frequently and start looking at cloud, uh, multiple cloud providers. Um, don't stick with just one. I know there's very big ones. They're probably going to be safe. Uh, but also look at other ones that uh, may be interesting to you as well, especially if you want to look at certain software applications. Excellent. Ed? Um, you know, from my perspective, I think it's start with <clears throat> a strategy. You know, it, don't just, like, go from one application to another or one, you know, you know data set to another or, you know, things like that. It's basically start with a strategy, figure out what your end goal is going to be or what you're trying to accomplish. Um, design for mobility and agility so that you can move things around. The, the cloud is not a destination. <laughs> it's a place that you may go to, you may come back, you may spend some time <clears throat> there, you may not. Uh, it really depends on what your strategy is and what you're trying to accomplish. And so focusing on the strategy is key. Okay. Uh, I would say 
think of a cloud strategy as a business strategy focusing on various business and, and including a lot of uh, different entities, not just in silo, doing it as a holistic manner and aligning it with uh, the agency's mission. And I, I really truly believe that HR department is a good model to have a cloud department to leverage a lot of things that are redundant, something that could be trained, guidelines, policy. You could do it once and then reuse that same manner and they you know, and you don't have to you know, the HR department doesn't manage the people. Same thing with IT. You know, you could have the system owner manage their own system, but you govern the onboarding, the offboarding, the acquisitions, the security, the policy, the five oh eight. I mean everything has to go in. I think HR department is a good model for that. All right. And Chris? So they've covered a lot of a lot of good aspects. So I'm going to come at this in a slightly different way um, to try and add some value. So if you haven't moved to the cloud, um, an on-prem virtual or private cloud is a good way for your organization to learn um, because that's what you're going to be doing in the cloud. So start with that, and then I would say yes, have a strategy for sure. But I would look at some SaaSs because they're fairly easy to adopt, um, and you can take um, you know, have some wins with some software as a service um, deployments. That way you can shift some stuff from on-prem to that. And then, then I think that you're going to have some, um, some muscle memory and you can build on deploying some others. All right, excellent. All good advice. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guests. Mitchell Schwartz, a systems engineer at Thundercat Technology. Ed Krejcik, the manager of Isilon Systems Engineers at Dell Technologies. Oki Mech, the Senior Advisor to the Chief Information Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, and Chris Brown, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Thank you so much for taking the time today. <clears throat> You've been listening to the discussion Cloud Migration and Optimization for Government, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Thundercat. Listen to the entire panel discussion on Federal News Network. Search Thundercat.